where you'll learn what it takes to create your dream professional dance career. Join us as we dive into the insights and experiences of the world's top dance industry professionals, including dancers, choreographers, agents, casting directors, educators, and other dance industry experts. We explore a diverse range of topics, from personal development and mental skills to audition techniques, creating meaningful industry connections, social media marketing, seeking out dance agents and casting opportunities, on-the-job etiquette, talent unions, pitching to the media, health, finances, and so much more. Here is your host, Menina Fortunato. So excited for today's guests. We have two special guests today, which is a treat. First time we've actually had two guests at the same time. And these are people that I've known since 2003. So I guess it's been 20 years. Wow, a long time. These two individuals have played a huge, huge role in my career. My best days as a booking dancer was with these two agents. They are the founders, president, and vice president of GoToTalent Agency in Los Angeles, California. They both have incredible dance backgrounds. They, prior to opening their agency, they were a part of MSA. One of the agents, Lisa, she was also part of Block and a part of DDO. And they've played such an instrumental part in the dance community and have served and represented the best of the best in the dance community, myself included, for my prime years of dance. So let's give some virtual love to Mr. Terry and Mrs. Lisa Lindholm. Are you with us? Hello, hello. hello. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. So hello, happy. So happy to have you, and thank you so much for taking time on a Sunday, uh, which was supposed to be a rest day for you guys, to be with us and to speak to our business of dance mentees that I'm sure are eager to talk to you as well. Before we get into their questions, I wanted to chat with you a little bit first, and if you guys could just introduce yourselves briefly and give kind of a backstory of your backgrounds and how you got started. Who is Lisa? Who is Terry? And so that these dancers know who they're talking to. So one of you take the lead. Go for it. Go for it, Lisa. No, you go. You go. go. (laughs) This is why you don't have two guests. Because. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Hello. How are you? I I, uh, am so thrilled to be here with you. It's always difficult talking about yourself, but it's really, you know, important. So you have some context for the conversation, right? So I grew up in Chicago. I, my mom owned a dance studio, my mom and dad. I'm moved to Los Angeles in 1987. And wow. <laughs> yeah. And I graduated high school and I moved, I went to Chicago high school for performing arts and I moved to Los Angeles right away upon graduating. My mentors were Al Gilbert and Joe Tremaine, and they both encouraged me to come to Los Angeles, take my next steps there. But prior to that, I was involved in the concert dance community of Chicago. Once I got to Los Angeles, I was just, for some reason, I just got hooked. That's where I felt I would have good success. So had a dance career here in Los Angeles, and then I had a back injury, and I was looking for what my next step was going to be. And around this time, I had met Lisa, and she was already an agent at the time. 
And I said, okay, I, I'll, we were looking for a project to do together. And that's when my agent, who was Julie McDonald of at MSA, they had just opened up their own agency and they only had a choreography department. So Lisa and I came in and created the on-camera dance department there at their agency. And then we were there about 10 years or so. Then we decided that we wanted to open our own agency. And now we've had go-to talent for about 12 and a half, almost 13 years, which is going to be how the time goes. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, that's a little bit about my, my story. I also do two other things at the same time during the pandemic. I took on the executive producer role of Tremaine Dance Conventions. And oh, uh, I, I didn't know that. Heard, Congrats. Yeah, because Mr. Tremaine wasn't uh, going to be traveling during the pandemic. So, and then I also serve as the board chairman for American Dance Movement, which is a nonprofit that was founded by Nigel Lithgow and Adam Shankman. We raise money for, you know, making dance more accessible and underserved communities and, you know, raising awareness to the benefits of dance, the health benefits of dance, you know, all those kinds of things. And we have National Dance Day coming up on September 16th, everyone. (laughs) Nice plug. Thanks for the plug. I didn't didn't even know that because National Dance Day used to be end of July. And then so it's officially changed to September. Yeah, it's officially changed to September. And the reason why that was done is we had a partnership with American Heart Association for many, many years. And we wanted to be able to connect as kids were going back to school to start healthy mm-hmm. practices in keeping moving, keeping active. That's was part of the reason for the change. Gotcha. Well, thank you for the backstory. And Lisa, I think this is your cue, your All turn. Right. <laughs> Hi, everyone. So similar to Terry, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Michigan. I moved to Los Angeles when I was 18 years old, straight out of high school to start pursuing my career. I was fortunate enough, I did Edge Scholarships program. And then I got my agent shortly thereafter and just started you know, diving in to work in the industry. And I did that for about 10 years. And then I started to feel like I was ready for something else. Didn't really know what that was. Didn't, to be honest with you, have a backup plan, which I don't (laughs) encourage. It was something that just happened. And I had never really had given a thought about what I would do beyond dancing. I thought I was going to dance forever. And I was lucky enough that my former agent had become a producer, but she had heard of an opening at an agency, which is when Manina and I first met, which was the first agency I worked at DDO. They are my Uh, first agents too. That's so funny. You know, I started there and kind of got my feet wet and learned if I liked it or not. You know, there was still that little part of me that was the performer and thought, could I get jealous? Could I see something and be like, well, I could do that. But I guess I was really done and ready for something else. And so that led me on my journey. And I was at DDO. And then a lot of the people I worked with at DDO moved over to Block. So I went to Block and I learned great things at all the places that I worked. And then, like Terry said, then we met up started this department at MSA, which we had for 10 years. And then lo and behold, now looking at 12 years on GTA, it's gone by very, very fast. That is wild. You don't look a day over 20. Thank you. Oh, I love it. (laughs) In case you haven't figured out, they're husband and wife. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for the backstory. So let's dive into your roles as agents, obviously, is a different role than being a dancer. But many of the dancers here aspire to have an agent one day. So what does your dream client look like? What exactly are qualities that you look for when you're looking to represent a dancer? 
Well, I would say that there's a couple of factors, the first of which is, I think, the most important. And this is really and truly something that's hard for people to do, is to have a real objective view of themselves and really understand their strengths, their weaknesses, and to understand that their training is oftentimes separate from where the business might find them, right? So you're going to always use different skills for every different type of project that you that you find yourself involved with. So you're going to bring a different set of skills to a commercial. You're going to bring a different set of skills to a feature film. You're going to bring a different set of skills to a concert dance company. And then, of course, you add on, it's going to vary depending on who the choreographer is, who the artistic director is, and what the circumstances are needed for each one of those different types of projects. So that's just meant to illustrate that being realistic about yourself is really, really important, knowing yourself inside and out. And then I'm sure Lisa will agree with this, that the second most important thing, and they might even be equally as important, is communication. The better communicator you are, the more we can do for you, the more we have a better understanding, the more trust that we have, all of those kinds of things. And Menina obviously was a great communicator when we worked with her all those years. And I think, Menina, you probably agree that that's one of the things that you need in an agent as well, correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. The the open line, the relationship that was built, especially with the two of you, was really special. And I felt like that synergy is why why I was so successful with you was because of the communication, the open, I felt like very comfortable with you and being able to share my concerns or share my goals, my dreams. And we've, I felt like we worked as together as a team. It was a real much of a team effort. You did your job to submit me on gigs and to push me and submit me for this or that. And I did my job to show up and to, you know, bring my A game and book the job. Yeah. Having that relationship. I feel like when I look back at all the agents I've had over the years, there was some Something very special with the two of you. And it was the relationship. It was the connection more so than anything that I, that I look back on and I cherish. Absolutely. Do you want to add to that, Lisa? No, I just, I second it. It's everything about the relationship. And it's the one thing that no one tells you when you're seeking getting an agent, it's great to be referred somewhere and have someone interested in you, but you need to follow your gut too. And feel like if it's really, there's a connection there and that it's going to work for you or that we see you the same way you see yourself. So that we do find that synergy, because otherwise, if there's a disconnect, then it probably won't be successful. And it doesn't mean that, look, all the agents work incredibly hard. We all get the same breakdowns. We all submit on the same jobs. But that's the one key element that separates it. And if you talk to a dancer and they're happy where they're represented, it's because they have that. And if they're unhappy, it's because they feel like they're just a file in the file drawer or there is that disconnect. People use file cabinets still. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> when you guys had file cabinets when you represented me, and I think you had hard copies too. And didn't you have to actually do mail-in submissions? Yeah, we used to do mail-in submissions to submit people for jobs. And we'd have a messenger service pick them up at like 10 a.m. and at like 6 p.m. every day, like just get them to the casting directors. It was so crazy, so incredibly hard. You know, now it's so much easier. We don't even... We don't even keep on our, our end hard copy pictures at all. Like everything is digital. Oh, yeah. I remember printing two, 300 copies per yeah. image yeah. and and having to stack 
them up in your office and my, and you know, in my trunk of my car and, and like stapling, like these kids have no idea what we have to do. <laughs> yeah, this is way easier now. Well, totally. they'll still, for the few live and in-person auditions that are left, you'll still need a hard copy photo. But of course. At least you don't have to, um, keep refilling them at the agency. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Speaking of photos, what would you say are some key type of images that a dancer would need to be a working dancer? So right now, and this happened kind of in the pandemic, and and as we always see every couple of years, it changes like there's a new trend. You know, it was like going from black and white to color and then color, then they wanted a variety of different kind of looks. And now like this new thing that came up over the pandemic is a lot of the casting directors will say to you, well, I want lifestyle photos. And the way I interpret that is they want to see you true to who you are on an everyday basis so that Mm. they know what they're getting when you come in that room. They want to know that that's what you look like, the way you wear your hair, the way you wear your makeup, the way you dress, your vibe and style. Like they're trying to get a real sense of you authentically, as opposed to looking at things that look more like costumes and like, oh, I know that I could play them down a little bit or more commercial or, you know, put this on and make them look sportier because I put fitness attire on, but you kind of don't necessarily need all of that anymore. Like I think that they're going to see it, especially if you have to end up doing a self tape or in person, but it's a little bit more oddly enough, generic and more straightforward of who you are on an everyday basis. I only would disagree with the term generic. And I think what you what you might mean is, in my mind, it's actually more specific to the actual yes, yes. person that you are. Yes. Right. So I think generic refers to you don't need 10 different photos playing 10 different characters. Right. Right. You need the shot that's quintessentially you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wasn't saying you're wrong. I just, no, that, no. that, that term I think no, is, right. is a little bit misleading. It's a nuanced term, right? So there's two things that are become really important for your photo, specifically because we're talking about dance. We're talking about the photo being some type of indication as to how you might dance, which is really, really weird to think about. So you have to think about it in terms of my personal style, meaning you, your personal style, because they want you to be you. Okay. That is really, really critical. They don't want you dressed up like you're wearing a costume, like Lisa said, right? Because there always will be someone that's an expert in those lanes. So they don't want you to try and pretend to be something else. They want you to be who you are. This comes back to what we were saying earlier about being really realistic with your strengths, your weaknesses, your skills, right? And the second part of that is, is that since you don't have a specific dress code, they want to see how you would present yourself on an everyday basis, right? So let's say you submit a photo to the agents and it has you, let's say you're 15 years old, okay? Maybe maybe 12 years old and you send in a photo that makes you look 25 years old, that's not going to work for you because there are 25-year-olds that should look that way. And what we need is for you to play the age that you actually are. And that's really important. So if you send in a photo that is far edgier than you actually are, chances are that's not going to connect right? So you want to be true to who you are. You want to be the age that you're supposed to be because that's the work that's going to be available for you. And 
you want the lifestyle photo that is sort of on an everyday basis that really captures your personality, right? I think what Lisa was talking about in the past, we used to have photos that would be like, we used to ask you for like the music video photo. Like, how would you present yourself for a music video? We used to ask you for the commercial photo. How would you present yourself if you were going to sell toothpaste? But now it's a little bit different because what they'll do is they'll see the photo, the actual everyday photo. And then what they'll do is they'll come back to Lisa and say, can you have them send a selfie from your phone? And then they'll get the real view of what you look like every day. Or like they might give you specifics of like, okay, now we want to see this and we want to see them in this attire or dress like this to see how they could play you, you know, in a different way and if it would work or not. And then you need to think about how do I explain this? If you, okay, so if you saw me, okay, let's use me as an example. Uh, Manina, don't you laugh. If you saw me and I submitted the photo where I was dressed up like I was going to be in a Missy Elliott music video. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Manina. <laughs> Nobody would probably buy that from me just because that's not right. That's not the person that I am. And that's not how I would dance. So let's say that I did that. And let's say that the photo didn't look completely ridiculous and they called me into the audition. It would be incredibly uncomfortable because that's not the dancer who I am. Right. So you want to kind of try and lead with you know, the strengths of the kind of jobs that might be appropriate for you. And I I gave you a ridiculous example on purpose, right? And honestly, I was probably in that category of people who tried to present myself in a way that was more edgy than I am. And it didn't work for me. I desperately wanted to go on tour with Michael Jackson. And that didn't happen because that wasn't the kind of dancer that I was. Right. But it didn't stop me from trying to present myself as if I could be right for that job. And ultimately, it wasn't successful because that's not the dancer that I was. Right. So I think it's not about limiting yourself, it's about accepting the strengths so that we can push you out into the marketplace with more success at first. Yeah, putting your best foot forward. Right. And then the agents can say, yes, but this person can also do one, two, and three, right? It gives us more leeway to open the doors then. Then they'll trust us more because they're like, okay, well, we started with this. Now let's see what else is there. Definitely. I'm terrible at staying on topic, Manina. So (laughs) no, I'm just imagining you in like some Adidas, like sweatsuit, Missy (laughs) Elliott. (laughs) That's why I was laughing. Like the gold chains and like... That was just a visual that I had in my head. Well, and you have to remember to see that. Yeah, and you have to remember the 1990s videos were much different than they are today. Of course. You no, know, they were anyway. Yeah. That wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> Maya <laughs> Joyce, I see you laughing. <laughs> I know Maya Joyce. Yeah, that's right. Because she's a Tremaine girl. That's right. She's a Tremaine yeah. kid. Speaking of today, what would you say is the current trends are you as far as what type of work is being available right now? Is there a certain type of work, especially for the young, younger dancers? What are you seeing lately? For the younger dancers, I mean, still for, for my area, for my clients that are under 18, it's still very heavy commercial, commercial driven. Obviously we have no TV and film right now. 
but television was supporting us in that area. We had a lot of kids working on Disney and Nickelodeon stuff. I have a couple of kids that are on tour with the group and company Kids Bop currently, but you don't see too many of those kind of opportunities, touring and things like that because of schooling. And quite frankly, one of my kids that's on it right now, his school is giving him a hard time about coming Mm -hmm. back to school in the fall and he may not be able to fulfill his contract. Now they're questioning it because the school is saying that he has to come back. So uh, the fun that we're having to work out, but normal touring is not a normal thing for kids, but for minors, it's heavy in the commercial area. Like we have a couple of kids that are in a target commercial right now, you know, like things like that, that are running for back to school. Those go in trends as far as like, you know, in the summer you shoot back to school and then in the fall, winter, you're going to start shooting for Christmas holiday stuff. So it cycles out every so often for adults right now, 18 and up again, obviously we have no TV or film work, which is a bummer. And it, we're taking a hit. I have to say, like, I, I can notice it for sure. Do you all know why we don't have TV and film right now? Uh, would you, I, I know why we have touched on it a little bit, but for those that may not be familiar, would you like to kind of put them up to speed with the strike what's going on? Absolutely. So TV and film work is on strike because there are two unions, ones that represents the writers, the Writers Guild of America, and then the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Radio and Television, Television and Radio. They represent the actors, which the dancers, you, would be covered under. And so all of that work is now closed down because all of the performers and all of the writers are on strike. So the work that we have available right now is commercials. We have industrial shows. We have anything music related, music videos, tours, yeah, uh, things. Residencies. Yeah, live residencies. Broadway shows are still going, but film and television, you know, is a big piece of the business. And to lose that has been very, very challenging. Not to mention, there's a lot of solidarity between performers and a lot of people aren't wanting to, some people are choosing not to work at all during this time to support the cause of getting a better film and television contract. And that's essentially what this is about is getting a better contract for all who are involved in these projects. And it has to do mostly with the streaming services and and a little bit about i think inflation too like you know people are taking all of that into consideration since everything has gone up price wise since the pandemic absolutely and and what you guys don't know is that for many many years when i first started working dancers were not covered under a regular union that we were covered under the extras union so we were called extras we belonged When I did my first films, when I first moved here, it was under an SEG contract, the Screen Extras Guild. And shortly thereafter, it was about a maybe a couple of years after. One of the biggest movies that was a big, huge dance movie where you were on an extras contract was Newsies. Yes. Yes. Oh, really? That was was an an extras dance film. Wow. Because we had Brian Freeman on. He talked about Newsies being one of his first gigs as a kid. I didn't know that was casted as extras. Well, Brian was a principal, so uh, okay. he was an actor. He was a principal. So they had 20. This was, this was one of the steps of the process, which was the Screen Extras Guild. And then, like, for example, what the agents, well, there was only one agent, two agents at that particular time. And what they would do is they would go in and say, 
fine. The people who are working as principals need to be on a principal SAG contract. And then the other regular dancers would be on the extras contract. And then that went for several, several movies. And then there was a movie, I think it came up, if you remember this movie, The Bodyguard, where dancers were mm-hmm. in. There was um, a boycott of that film because they weren't going to put people on principal contracts. So it was a negotiable thing. So because there was, I don't know, I think a hundred dancers or something like that on Newsies. And actually, Brian probably shared this with you is that not too long ago, a couple of years back, we had a reunion at uh, with Kenny Ortega. We had a reunion at the El Capitan where they they showed. Oh, no, he didn't the film. say that. That's yeah, nice. They, they shared the film. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, it just so happens that the Broadway company of Newsies was over at the Pantages. And they came over and performed at the end of the movie. So we got to merge nice. some of the original film cast and the Broadway cast together for a photo on stage, which was great. Oh, that's fun. No, he didn't share that. I didn't know that either. That's really cool. Yeah, it was really fun. So the principles would be generally on the contract. And then essentially what happened is jumping forward is there was a a category for dancers created at the union where dancers would always be considered a principal, albeit in groups, right? The more there were, there was different groupings. And this assured that a couple things happened. And this is the big issue that's happening now with streaming services is when I did Newsies, I didn't make any residuals because I was considered an extra. So, and gratefully that changed once the dancer category came in at the union, right? There was a lot of solidarity amongst the dancers to tr- to get this to happen, right? There was an organization that's not an official bargaining body, but called Dancers Alliance. They did a lot of work to, along with the agents, to make this a better working environment for all dancers. Once that dancer category came in, we were guaranteed to get health and pension contributions, and we were guaranteed to get residual, to be a part of the residual pool which is really, really great. And now what's happening is as a new technologies come in with the streaming services, it's not guaranteed some of these things. Pension and health is, but residuals are not guaranteed for all people involved. So that's one of the major sticking points here. And essentially what it is, is there are Well, I don't want to bore you with more details, but essentially what it is, is to make sure that people are fairly compensated as a project does better, right? So if it's a super big hit project, people want to get more money for that. Well, you know, like here's another dance film that, and I had no idea this, she shared it with me, but, you know, we work with Doriana Sanchez and she told me she didn't get residuals in Dirty Dancing. Really? That was an iconic movie. Those movies weren't even that long ago. And so, I mean, we've definitely made great strides, but obviously have more work to go. But it's just interesting when you hear of some of those iconic dance films and you're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea, you know? Well, this is something very interesting for you guys, just as it was, what, 20, maybe 25 years ago where we got the dancer category, something like that. Choreographers still in film and television do not have a union. Choreographers do not have a union, which is shocking because almost every no everyone else on a movie set has a contract, but the choreographers do not. In production, yeah. It's shocking. It's shocking. And to be honest with you, a lot of times when we go to do a choreography deal for TV and film, some of the 
line producers that you're dealing with or ADs or whomever I'm talking to don't even realize it. It's like news to them. They're like, oh, they're not covered. And I'm like, no, they're not. That's why we're asking for what we're asking for, because we're trying to, you know, make up for the difference. So yeah, these guys don't know, yeah. don't know yet, but you will know. Yeah. <laughs> Soon enough. Oh, absolutely. And now there's uh, I've heard the the new choreographers guild that's been forming that uh is basically in response to all of this, trying to create a lane for themselves yep. in the entertainment space. Yep. Yeah, they're, awesome. trying to, they're doing a phenomenal job. They're trying to organize and, and show that there's a unified community in the choreographers. And that's difficult to do because it's a small number of people trying to petition, you know, different organizations to pick up the contract for the choreographers. It's very difficult. There's more to that story, but yeah, yeah it's it's challenging. It's challenging. The Choreographers Guild is something that people have been trying to do for a very long time. And this is the furthest that they've gotten. So I'm really encouraged. Yeah, <laughs> it's progress, progress in the right direction. Now, even though we've got some downside to, you know, the business side that's going on right now with entertainment, can you enlighten some of the dancers and even their parents that might be watching? What type of income could be generated as a dance, as a working dancer? What type <laughs> of projects could you give some, some highlights? You don't have to mention names of your clients, but maybe mention some of the clients and what their day rates might be or what they're getting for a commercial, if there's residuals, what they're getting for tours, kind of give a, I know it's very broad and there's lots of different rates, but if you can kind of give an idea to if they were to book a commercial or a movie or a tour or an influencer video campaign, what type of income could be potentially generated? Touring right now is interesting. It's in a decent place. I would say most tours that I'm working on right now, we're, we're at the 2000 a week mark and up. It depends. Some of it depends on seniority, how long you've been with an artist. If you have that seniority, then your rates might be a little bit higher. Some of the artists are very loyal to their people, which is great. A commercial, it depends. I mean, there's non-union commercials and there's union commercials. So there are standards in place per the union. I think a current day rate is like almost $800 a day. And then, you know, residuals would be beyond that based on what the usage would be and if they're going to run it. Your your rehearsals and your shoot fees are the same on a commercial. So, you know, it depends on, you know, one of the group categories got taken away for commercials. So you're always paid at a group six to eight, whether you're group nine or 10 or a hundred, right? But that's one place where it's consistent, there are some places, some contracts that have separate rehearsal rates and shoot, shoot day rates, rates yeah. or weekly rates and whatnot. And they're, that's one thing that they're working on at the union that they're trying to see if they can change is that a shoot day and a rehearsal day would be the same rate across the board, which is one of the topics that's in discussion at the moment. Because for film and television right now, it's a separate rate. It's on the table to merge to um, unify those. A weekly TV or film contract can be anywhere from, I would say, 2,600 and up a week, depending again on what your role is and, you know, what you're playing in the TV show and how many people are hired. Again, TV and film would, would have residuals. You know, if you're on a principal contract, you would get residuals for those, those projects. So I still get residuals for the Thomas Crown Affair. I get residuals for In Living Color. I get residuals for... Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump for uh, some of these projects. And, you know, obviously the longer it is from the time you shoot the project, the residuals, you know, I get, it costs more for them to mail the check than it does (laughs) 
for the, the money. I've gotten a penny check. I have actually really? officially gotten a, a one cent check. I don't remember what project it was, but I still get like, Why would too. you let that accrue? Like, why would you even put a stamp on it? I know, it? like, I know it's funny, but now what about the influencer space? Are you guys handling contracts for any of your clients that are booking any type of social media video campaigns? Because that seems to be a whole new, like in my generation, we didn't have that. But I'm hearing some pretty substantial rates that are happening in that space. It depends on the influencer. It depends on, you know, in that regard, the following or what the company is requiring of you, what deliverables you're having to present, how long they're going to use it or want to run it. Some are really short term. So sometimes in a dancer world, it's sometimes good money. But in the grand scheme of some of the bigger influencers, there's still a long way to go. It, again, it depends on a lot of factors. But we've had you know a couple of our clients that are big on TikTok and they have worked consistently. They may not work in other areas of dance, like commercially or on a music video or TV show, but they're working in this area consistently. And can do anywhere between eight to 10 campaigns in a year. And even at that, let's say, let's say a minimum that they're getting 5,000 to 8,000 a pop. That's not bad. It's not bad for making one video that most of these kids will make for fun. (laughs) Yeah. I think the challenge in the space, in the social media or, you know, digital space is two things is that. It's just like we were starting the conversation where you have to know which tools you're bringing to which type of project. And sometimes there is criticism on either side of the digital space. So I think you need to be really, really realistic about who you are and be as authentic of a human being as possible in the digital space. So we have some clients who are primarily in the digital space, big clients with a lot of a lot of followers, a lot of views, they do campaigns. That's their primary source of income. And they make far more than 5,000 a campaign, Mm -hmm. but that's because their following is warranted. Now, they are at the point now where all of their work is tailored specifically to those brands, right? That they work with. Now, on the other side, there's a lot of critique or criticism from the traditional space of dance saying you are selling out by using the social media space. And I actually disagree with the criticism on both sides, right? I think that this is just another medium of work. Like when I first moved to Los Angeles, I was criticized by the concert dance community for selling out by doing commercials. So this is just the digital space is another form of doing commercial work. It just so happens that it is created by you, the artist, which in my opinion is something quite unique and remarkable that you get to control your own production and presentation of material. It's really, really quite spectacular. And frankly, it's one of the only spaces that really has taken the crediting of choreographers very, very seriously. They've kind of backed off on that a little bit now, and specifically on TikTok. But if you think about it, TikTok was trying to establish that you cannot use someone else's choreography and claim it as your own, right? So that's a good first step that we haven't seen in traditional media. 
So that's a really, really phenomenal thing. Yeah. So there's been the criticism from the traditional dancers and there's been a criticism from the social media dancers. And I don't think we should be separating the categories. I think this category needs to go together. And here's a good example is every time there is a commercial campaign, or I'd say maybe 75% of the time, there is some sort of social media component that goes along with a commercial campaign. So it is already bridging that gap. But I see a lot of traditional dancers that are criticizing social media influencers as not being real dancers. And I think that where we can draw the line is there, yes, there might be a lot of pedestrian people that are taking advantage of dance on social media. But I think we need to be very careful about judging the other artists that are out there. For example, the clients that we represent, they may not be working in the traditional side of the business, but they are trained dancers. They are trained Mm -hmm. artists, right? Yeah, we would have never signed them. I mean, I don't sign someone just because of their social media and their following. That actually doesn't matter to me. It's me getting to know them. And then that was something that I learned about them and is something that we've discovered together. But again, they are trained talent. Yeah. So here's what here's what brands are sharing with us about social is especially coming off of being, uh, I don't know, is there anyone over 18 here? Uh, yes. We've okay, got good. a few. Okay, good. So depending on how you're transitioning out of your training phase, right? A lot of times... We've gotten in the habit of posting and posting and posting and posting and posting and posting the same exact type of video all the time. It's just a different song, a different piece of wardrobe. And a lot of times, by the time you're moving into the professional side of the industry, sometimes it's too much dance that just looks monotonous because it's the same thing over and over and over and over again. And what it does do is it doesn't make you look like a real authentic human being. It makes you look like a robot. And that's a lot of commentary that we've been getting from brands that are looking to hire people because what they're looking for is an authentic human being that has the ability to communicate through their dance, right? And the way that they evaluate what's beneficial for them is If they're able to, and if you're able to, if your social media platform is able to attract eyeballs that give a certain level of engagement. So it's not necessarily if you have 10 million followers, because you could have 10 million followers that don't engage with you, and you could have 1% engagement. And what we don't see are people using and hiring folks that have a 1% engagement. So you could have the same value to them if you have 10,000 followers and you get a 50% engagement. That's 5,000 eyeballs, still less than the 10 million to 1 million, but still they know for a fact that those might just be people that go like, 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 like. The 10,000 scenario might actually be people that like the same things that you like. So they look for a little bit more nuanced of a formula than just the total number, right? We've been finding people getting more value with that. However, the reality is the lesser numbers you have, the lesser the dollar figure is. Gotcha. I hope that answers. It's very yeah, decent. no, 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 that was that was great. Now, even though I could talk to you every day, I can't believe the time is ticking. And I want mm-hmm. to give an opportunity for our business of dance mentees to ask you a question. 
Miss Danielle Medici. I think somebody was she, commenting on my Miss Elliot thing saying. It, um, yes. Tasia says, I imagined a silver trash bag. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you're right. I could have done the. I could have pulled off the trash bag. Yeah. Okay. Look at all these questions. Okay, good. Well, I wanted to congratulate Miss Danielle Medici, who I just brought up here who uh, it just joined your family and just yes. signed with GTA. So yes. dancers, <laughs> let's give some virtual love and high fives and applauses <laughs> to Miss yes. Danielle. I don't know if she told you that she met you guys during the Hollywood summer tour way back in 2000. Yeah, in you said that. 15, 14, 14, 14. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Life just goes by like full circle moment, full circle moment. She was, she was a teenager back then. Now she's an adult in her twenties and now she's signed to you guys. So I just wanted to bring her up and congratulate her and so excited. You're, you're in great hands, Danielle. And I hope that you guys have the same kind of relationship that I had during my it. She's already got her stuff up. She's, she's getting it done. Good, 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 good. She's on LA casting. She got her casting (laughs) networks up. She's like all good to go. Yep. Well, she, she's been that kind of mentee as well. It's I'm like, get this done, get this. I'm like, you want an agent, get this. this, this, this. She's like, got it. Boom. Motored through it. And then she's like, okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. So just wanted to show some love. So congratulations, Danielle. Thank you yeah. so much. It's so great to see you in person. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, now we will open it up to the rest of our mentees. Sienna. Uh, Sienna. Hi, I'm Sienna Morris. I'm 16 years old and my family is based in Orlando, Florida. I actually met you, Lisa, at NYCDA Nationals in Phoenix last year. Yes. I just auditioned for the Tremaine Performance Company. So hoping that I can get to the, get to do that this year. My question is, do you sign dancers that are not permanently based in LA or New York? Because my family is based in Florida, but we travel all the time. And I just spent most of last year in a contemporary ballet company in LA. Which company? Ballet Red. Josie oh, yeah. yeah. That's Josie. Yes. We love Josie. Yeah, it's great always working with her. That's amazing. Well, good. Yes. I mean, like for you where you are, in a nutshell, yes, we do sign people that don't live here. And it's just me figuring out what's available to you and what's nearby, what could work. Obviously, you still being 16, there still might be limitations yeah. on what you can and can't do. But I would be open to it. And to be honest with you, again, with the self-tape situation these Mm -hmm. days, I don't necessarily always have to have you here in person audition for something. So we can really get a sense of if they're really interested in you and where we're going to go with it and if it's going to go any further. And, you know, at that point, then I might say to you, okay, this one's it's looking really good. Maybe we need to talk about, you know, getting you out here. Like the client that I had that did the Target commercial that's running right now. Mm -hmm. He lives on the East coast. He's like all the way on the East coast in like New Jersey. Yeah. But wouldn't you also agree that this is also, especially at 16, this is the time to really be thinking about making the priorities, building the relationship with the agent, thinking about that new lane of potential work, because it is going to be limited. This is about the time of making sure that you are prepared, prepared, prepared for what's going to happen at 18. So really the objective of signing is great. If something comes up, that's awesome. Right. 
But understanding that it might not, this is about that time to keep preparing and and making sure that you are ready to go. It's right? like nurturing those relationships and getting you ready so that everything's there. And like like Terry said, like we always say, like if you book something, great, that's fantastic, yay. But but that's not the goal right now. The goal is to just get you ready so that you can start right away. You know. Yeah. And luckily I have had the chance, even with being in Florida, because I do travel a lot, I just booked a free people movement campaign. So that's been out now. I'm oh on- God, thank God. They're finally using real dancers. <laughs> I right. I remember that whole remember scandal with it. Yes. it was like, it was like a model and she had like this horrible sickle. She was not a ballerina and they put no, her in ballet terrible. attire. They took yes. so much slack for that. Yeah, too, so they hired they like a real horrifying. ballerina this time. <laughs> yes. So that was great to work with them. And yeah, we flew out there. Such a great experience. So always willing to travel, but so nice. Where did you shoot that? That was in LA. Oh yeah, good. And and she's also on the shortlist for Marguerite's uh, ballet show that's uh, supposed to be filming in New York, but everything's on pause right now. So uh, she's had, she's had opportunity even, even being based in Orlando and without an agent. Right. Yeah, it's she's she's rocking and rolling. There's stuff nearby too. I mean, with with Atlanta being so close, Nashville being so close, you know, there is stuff in Miami and Orlando. So you never know. Yeah. Definitely. What are you thinking about going to school after high school? What What's your plan? I am honestly keeping it open right now. I'm really willing to do anything. I'm going to audition everywhere and see what you know. I, I've never been set on going to college, so I've really just wanted to work. So probably that route. So yeah, we'll see though. Great. Sounds good. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sienna. All right. Next up, we have Daphna. Hi. Hi. My name is Daphna Koenig. I'm 17 years old and I live at Monterrey, Mexico. I just wanted to know if I want to be a part of your agency and I'm an international dancer, if the process of signing with you guys is different from a like US dancer and if it is. What are the yeah, the next step is, and many are going to attest to this too, is any international dancer is going to need to get a working visa. That wouldn't be your next step to start investigating and saving your money and, you know, to prepare for it. It's been a little bit challenging, obviously, coming out of the pandemic. It doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It just takes time and it takes preparation to get everything organized, to be able to submit and do something like that. Okay, <laughs> because I know I have to get my working visa, but I just, yeah. That's the biggest thing because we can't really do anything without it. You know, like we can't really actively submit or represent anybody and put them up for jobs that they potentially aren't available for without that paper. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much, Daphna. We can definitely chat more about the work visa another yeah. time. Been there, done that many times. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Miss Malia. Hi, my name is Malia. I'm 16 and I'm from Orlando, Florida. And my question is, with there not being a lot of commercial dance work in Florida, where else besides L.A. do you see the commercial industry growing? I mean, obviously, like I said, again, there there is work now lately kind of spread out across the U.S. I mean, to be honest with you, it is one remarkable thing that happened during the pandemic that it's not so L.A., New York arrogant that we are the only places that have the work. Yes, still majority, but I do see work in Nashville. I do see work in Texas. I do see work in Atlanta, in New Orleans. I had um, you know, two dancers that are from originally Utah and they went home and worked on High School Musical, the series in Utah. Miami, we, for sure. We, yeah, Miami is a big one as well. Um, we've had clients work on films in Boston. I mean, it's really spread out more than ever, which is kind of 
insane. A lot of the casting processes do happen in kind of centralized locations, yeah. though. It will either come from L.A., New York or Atlanta, frankly. Yeah. Uh, those are big casting hubs in terms of the work originating from those locations. It could also, you know, a lot of uh, work happens up in Canada as well, in Toronto and Montreal. So it just depends on where the project is is originated. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Miss Malia. Next up. Hi, um, my name is Salima Berry, and I live in Las Vegas. I'm 27. Thank you for speaking with us today. I appreciate it. I had a question. You all were mentioning contracts, and I just wanted to know when you sign under an agency, how long does your contract last? Is it like a year thing? or? And then to follow up with that, you were also talking about health insurance. Does that come when you sign up with an agency, or do you have to be under a union? to get that? I'll take the first part first. Our contracts and most agencies issue a one-year contract at the time of signing. After that one year, typically they extend to a three-year for a second signing. That's just typically in the industry what happens because it is very hard to just keep re-signing every year. It just feels like that's all the paperwork that's done. However, the caveat to both of those things is, is that there is, after a period of four months, you can, especially at the beginning, if you feel like that the relationship isn't working, you can break the contract after four months. Okay. Mm -hmm. I would caution by saying that generally a first year contract, you are not going to start working in four months. So four months is not a really good barometer. However, it's a protection for you. If you just feel like it's not the right fit, you can get out after four months. After that time, most agencies will hold you to the contract. So for example, if you miss that window and you decide in the sixth month, you want to jump to a different agency, the agency will say, fine, you can go but you still owe us the commission on any jobs you do throughout the, the length of the contract. Mm-hmm. So it, it is kind of important you pay attention to that four-month period to make sure that at least the relationship is building in the way that you want. I would say on average, it takes people about a year to start working. That's just an average. However, you you are probably already working where you are. So I wouldn't say that that's uh, necessarily in, uh, the same type of issue for you. I have a feeling your needs are a little bit different, right? Where you need maybe a little bit of extra support. You want to transition perhaps into some work that's happening in LA, et cetera, right? Yes. Um, that's just a guess. Now, the second part of the question is the health insurance. You do not become an employee of the agency. The agency is purely has a fiduciary responsibility to act in your best interest. And we are basically the representative of you. Okay. So when you work in the union space, yes, you have access to health and pension. There are qualification thresholds that you have to meet. And honestly, most clients, by the time they actually meet the threshold of the union health insurance, they already have their own. So- it becomes the kind of thing where I'll be really honest, the entire time that I was a professional dancer, I never qualified for health insurance because it was spread out over four different unions at the time. Mm-hmm. And so you could never work in one lane enough to qualify. Now it is shrunk down to only a few different unions, 
that you probably will work for. And it's a little bit easier to qualify. Okay. Another thing is that if you were, I'm only bringing this up because you're in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. is you know, some of the current CERC residency contracts and things like that, sometimes a corporate company like that may offer it and you can elect to go under their, you know, what they're offering their insurance or their medical, their dental. Some of them have, you know, very good plans if you elect to do it. Which means that you're ultimately paying for it though. (laughs) Right. It's an election, right? Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes being a part of the plan gets you uh, cheaper, cheaper rates. Right. Okay. Thank you. Is that kind of answer? Yes. One last thing I want to give you related to the contract is that an agency agreement says that you have to be ready, willing, and able to accept work. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to make a decision that you're going to make yourself ready, willing, and able to accept work, right? So for the most part, California labor law is very protective over you, the artist, with do right. And we like it that way because everybody knows up front what they're getting into. You know what I mean? Right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Talima, for your question. All right. Next up, we have Miss Chloe. Hi, my name is Chloe. I'm 17 and I'm from Louisiana. And I was wondering if you've ever signed anyone or booked anyone for a job while on Tremaine like tour. If you've ever seen a dancer there and you've been interested in them and wanted to sign them or anything. I have seen people that have interested me on Tremaine Tour, but I've also done that at every event that I've ever gone to. You know, we've spoken regularly at Velocity and Hollywood Vibe and, you know, USC Kaufman and yeah, yeah. We do the, in the summer, it's like the whole circuit. <laughs> but if we do, yeah, if we see a dancer that that we're drawn to, yeah, we've absolutely offered representation. Or at least we've offered to take a meeting to discuss it. Yeah, there are there are legal things that prevent certain things from happening, which is for your protection. I'm not that person that's going to say, yeah, everyone who comes to the convention should get represented. I wouldn't have the ability to do that even if I wanted to. It's really about saying, hey, I think there's something here. We should talk about it to see if there's an option, right? Because I don't believe that the events are about you paying because there might be an opportunity you get signed, right? That's not the objective. The objective is to come and train. And I felt that all the way along. And if somebody's there just to get a scholarship or just to get, you know, some sort of opportunity, I think that's the wrong reason, you know? So anyway, I have to disclose to every organization that we we appear at, that we talk at, that there cannot be the perception that somebody has paid to be signed and that any information that we give, including today, any information that we give is purely for educational purposes. And then the steps have to go forward, like getting to know you as a dancer, getting to see if there's interest legitimately on both sides, right? Thank you. Thank you so much, Chloe. All right, next up we have Miss Ava. Come on down. Hi, I'm Ava Mack. I'm 16 years old and I'm from Boston. So I'm still in high school. So, and I'm going into my junior year. So, what would be your advice to dancers who are still in high school and like what steps can they take now to like try to push for a career in the future? Well, do you know what your next, what you want to do next? Do you want to go to school? What are you putting out in the world that you think you want to do? 
I would say I'm interested in like obviously moving to LA to pursue professional dancing. Um, I don't know if college is in the cards yet. I would say I'm still trying to keep it pretty open and then I'll see where it takes me. But I would say going to LA would be like the next step for me. Well, I think two things are really important. The first is, is that if you haven't been able to visit yet, you should visit LA to see what it's all about. Find some type of program that might uh, expose you to a little bit about what's going on there. I would say the professional, and I would say this to anybody who is asking me, not specifically you, is the auditioning environment is not for everyone. So it's something that you have to kind of get yourself immersed in and, you know, figure out if this is an environment you want to take a chance on. That's one thing. And I hope you understand what I mean by that is not everybody is meant to wake up in the morning and motivate themselves towards what am I going to do today to make, to move my career forward. And if you don't do that, it's going to be hard, right? The other thing is to keep in mind is that there are more college programs that focus on commercial dance than there ever has been before. And sometimes the environment of a structured schedule is very important right? Granted, there's no guarantees, even if you have that college degree, that it's going to affect you. Number one is your BFA in dance will not affect whether you can work in Los Angeles or not. Nobody will even ask. But what I find happens is that people mature a lot more during that collegiate experience, and they become a more wealthy artist in terms of their knowledge base and their frame of reference, right? And then they know exactly who they are and what they want to do when they come out of that experience. Now, depending on what kind of dancer you want to be, there are schools that have better placement opportunities than others. So again, it would depend on what exactly you want to do. You need to think about what you're going to do with that piece of paper when you get it, right? My recommendation is always that if you're going to go as a dancer, that you always either major or minor in business as well, or marketing or communications or something like that, because that leaves more pathways open to you. I think what's important about that is you don't want to find yourself in a position where you say... I did this when I had a back injury. I fell down a flight of stairs, broke a vertebra on my back. And I woke up the next morning and I said, you know what? I don't know how to do anything else, which wasn't exactly accurate, but because now I own two businesses, but it's kind of this weird feeling of having, to me, freedom means opportunities, right? So if the doors open, if you have other doors to open, it still means that you um, have some type of freedom, right? So I think that that's a really important thing to think about. And it's very difficult because you think that you're making a decision for the rest of your life, right? I think you can make you can make choices that aren't ideal, but I don't think you ever make the wrong choices, right? Because at least you, if you've made a choice that didn't turn out to be ideal for you, at least you know that's not the path. Right. So you learn you've learned something there. Right. So I think you really need to pay attention to your mentors. You need to be free to talk to them starting now. Talk to your parents, talk to your teachers, talk to your mentors and say, this is what I really want to do. And how do I get there? And this is the prime time to be thinking about that. Right. How do I get ready to go if I'm moving to L.A. at 18? What do I need to be doing right now? So you're asking the right questions and good luck to you.
<laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ava. I was giggling inside and both of us were giggling when you said you need to be in a program in LA that immerses you in both. She yep. just did the Hollywood summer tour. <laughs> yes, exactly. Perfect. So, Exactly. And she actually, and she did the agency showcase with, with one of your agents already. So yes. she's on the right track. So good job. Good. So let's move on to Miss Maya Joyce. Oh boy. Where are you? <laughs> My question for you is I am a 12 year old dancer who wants to book commercials. What should my social media contain for directors to book me through my Instagram? Okay, sure. Give me a hard one, Maya. No, 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 no. It's actually good. I think number one is that you probably will not get booked off of your social media. However, the content might get viewed by casting. It might be used as a reference tool, but they're not going to necessarily book you there, right? I mean, they might, but very rarely do I find that that happens. What I think is you need to make sure that you showcase yourself outside of your dance as well as your dance. You need to be the young lady that you are. You need to show them your personality. You need to interact with the people that are interacting with you. Those are the kinds of things that are going to appeal to people. You know, they want to see that you can speak as well as dance. And I think you need to be careful to make sure that your page represents you at the age that you are, because for commercials and television specifically, the younger you are, the better. So you don't want to present yourself older. And most dancers present themselves older. They just do because their body language is more mature. So you don't want to be afraid to let it be a kid, right? And I think that's the probably the most important piece that I could give you. You know what? You can take some of the dance stuff down. It doesn't ever really, really go away. But if you want to clean up your social a little bit and make it more specific to you, I think that that's better. I think no matter what, you can't change the age that you are, right? So it's never going to be inappropriate for you. What is inappropriate is if you present yourself as a 20-year-old and you're really 12, that is when it becomes inappropriate. Then people look at it and they're like, oh boy, how can I put her back to school when she's doing all these crazy things that you know make her look too mature? Does that help a little bit? Yes, that does. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll talk to your mom about it later. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Maya Joyce. Let us move on to Miss Anya. Hello, my name is Anya. I moved from Serbia to Vancouver recently, and I'm kind of new in all this industry here in Canada and U.S., Uh, My question is, uh, considering what is going on in the industry right now, for the future trends, what do you believe will be more popular, more wanted in the future, like working on commercials and TV industry or influencing in social media? I think it will be everything, to be honest with you. I think TV and film will have a big resurgence since we're lacking thereof right now due to the strike. So I think there's a lot of stuff that was probably prepared or ready to go that will hit the market as soon as the strike is over, which I can't wait for, (laughs) quite frankly. Can I interject one second? Yeah. Let's just think about this for a second is we're talking about streaming and TV film as separate items. 
they're technically the same item. It's just a different distribution method. So the content remains the same, frankly. In the commercial space, it is a little different because it is traditional and social. And what I think ultimately is going to happen is it's either going to be branded or non-branded, right? And branded means that it's paid for by the brand itself. And the interaction is more unique because it is from somebody who loves the product talking to another person who might love the product because they do. Whereas the traditional side will be still hired actors saying what the brand wants them to say. So I think the commercial space is a little bit different, but TV film space is just a different distribution method. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anyway, that's probably not, that's not your question. I'm sorry. (laughs) It does help. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Anya. All right. Next up, we're going to bring Miss Olivia, AKA Liv. Hi, I'm Liv. I am 24. I am based in Los Angeles. I have met both of you multiple times through Menina, but also Letha. I worked with you a little bit on the Ethos Project with Sheldon. Yes. Meetings and all of that kind of fun stuff. But my question today is, what is your advice on switching agencies? I'm kind of looking to do so myself here pretty soon. And I was just wondering about like the best way to go about it. Well, how do I not burn a bridge? What should I be looking for when I am researching other agencies? you know, just, just normal, basic, like green flags to be looking for and how to do it in a proper and professional way. I love how she said green flags and not red. <laughs> I, know, I know. Yeah. I know. I caught that too. I like that. <laughs> so look, this is your one shot at your career and we all get this, you know, and, and I take that really seriously because, you know, I was you, Terry was you. I am you because I'm still trying to decide what I'm doing. <laughs> I was just saying, it's hard to know when it's time, you know, like it's like. But I think you have to follow your gut. And if something is feeling like it's not working or it just maybe again, that synergy and that that connection is not there, then it is time for you to make a change. And it's not good or bad against the agency. It's just like maybe it's not the right thing. And you have to take control of your career and go, you know what? I need to try something different. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But I think that you have to explore it. And I think as you start to investigate, you know, taking meetings and you'll have a, you'll know, you just have to follow your instincts. I I really firmly believe that. Like, I think that, you know, over time, I don't love the dancer that like is constantly jumping ship to agency to agency, which I see those all the time too. So I understand your concern. But the thing is, is any agency, if you you know, reached out to them and said, look, I just feel like, you know, especially if you made the attempt to like do catch-ups or, and you just still feel like it's not connecting, there's not getting any momentum or anything changing, then I think it's okay to say, hey, it kind of seems like it's not working for either of us. I think I need to explore other options. And I think anyone in our industry, I mean, we know obviously all the agents and all the agencies, everyone's going to understand that. It's when somebody does it in an unprofessional way that would be that someone might take offense to it, you know, especially like if there's somebody that like I worked really hard for, and then all of a sudden someone over here is dangling the shiny toy, telling them that they can do more than what I'm doing, but yet we're having great success. Then that's going to be a little bit harder on me because I'm going to be like, but what more could I be doing because it's working? Right. But the thing I'm going to say to both of you is you're not dating. (laughs) Yes, it is 
ultimately at the end of the day business, right? You are in the business of you. And that's what makes it feel like it's a personal relationship, especially because we're saying you want to have a personal relationship. And that's what makes it a little bit more challenging and a little bit more difficult, right? But at the end of the day, they would make a business decision. We would make a business decision and you have to do the same. And Lisa's absolutely right. The the times where it doesn't make sense is when there's a tremendous amount of success happening, you know, but if that's not happening, chances are they're feeling the same on their side. So, you know, as long as you handle it professionally at our agency, I can only speak for our agency is we have about a 90% return rate. So if clients leave us and I don't blame people for doing this, they need to find out if there is something else that they could be doing. I understand that at certain points, right? But we're very excited about the fact that because of our relationships, 90% of the time people come back to us, you know, after that contract has expired. Uh, I had a dancer last year. (laughs) She left for three months and, and wrote me an email and said, can I come back? And I was like, you're probably under contract with another agency. And it would be determined on if they would let you out. I was like, I am open to having the conversation with you. But literally, it took her three months for her. She thought the grass was going to be greener. And she went for it and then found that it wasn't the same kind of relationship or the same kind of communication. And so it was really interesting to go through that with her. And she eventually, once the other contract, I was right. She had to fulfill the other contract fully. Once the other contract expired, then came back again. (laughs) That's insane. Yeah. You know, not all of the agency agreements are exactly the same. So, for example, in our contract, we have the four month out. I thought that that was a state rule. Maybe since it was a renewal, maybe that wasn't in there. I don't know. I think that sometimes the argument is on the other side. So, let's say she left for three months, right? I believe in all contracts, it's supposed to have the four month rule. And probably what was argued, and I would argue the same thing, is that in three months, how could we possibly know if it's going to work, right? So I probably would have, on our side, would have argued the same thing, that we don't even know what our relationship is like yet. So, you know, if they're going to spend time investing in you, they might have wanted the full year to try and to try and prove that. On the flip side, from my point of view is, if somebody doesn't want to be with me, I don't want to spend time working on with right. them. That's just how we are, because we feel like that's, that's it's not going to work, you know, uh, and, and I would never want to be responsible for holding someone's career back either. That's um, where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and chances are they feel the same way, right? You know, it's a struggle for them as well. So that's where it's a perfect scenario. You know, again, we we don't support, you know, jumping agencies. And as Menina knows, a lot of our clients have been with us a long time and have been with Lisa since she was at her first agency, you know, so. It makes it sound like I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> well, can you do a rah? Can you, no, okay. Anyway, uh, do you have pterodactyl hands, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it is a difficult thing, but it is a relationship and you're well within your rights to say, hey, I don't think this is your contract expired. Do you know? Yes, I'm. I currently also 
I moved myself onto the inactive list as well at the moment, just because my agency has been going through a lot of changes. Um, my agent actually just ended up leaving and now it's being taken over by like the owner of our company. And I just, I don't know, my, my castings before I put myself on an active were nothing near what I was booking in the past and, or the things that I'm interested in now that I have gotten a little bit older. Cause I signed with them when I was only 19 years old and now I'm 24. Like I've been doing a whole bunch of stuff with them. And then once my agent left, it was just like, yeah, I lost that, that synergy, that relationship. I didn't, I don't feel like seen over there anymore. And I just, I pulled myself back just a little bit, but I also haven't put myself out to any other agencies. So I also feel like I don't want to just say, okay, goodbye. And like lose somewhat of a safety net in a sense as well. So I think that's where I'm kind of at, at the moment. Well, continuity of representation is something very important to pay attention to because that one person may have really known you. And that's where that safety came in. And now that that's gone, you know, I don't think that that's something that anyone would fuss about, right? However, you know, they might say, well, you know, wait, maybe maybe it'll be just as good, you know? But if if you feel that you want to take this time to investigate options, that's also a fair, that's also a fair thing. The union, if you were to have signed a union agreement, the union agreement says, has a continuity of representation agreement in there. It's different from the general the general services agreement that you probably did sign. So these are all fair things, and it is, after all, just business. So thank well, that's you. What's been important to us for us at our agency is is been having that continuity because that could be the worst demise for an agency is that all of a sudden you have new people and you have to get to know them, and then that's where things get lost in the shuffle. I mean. We are all a little bit overkill at our agency because I make my other agents get to know you just like I know you. Everyone is copied on emails. I see every email Sarah and Gabe do or Julie does. We are like diehard in that regard, whether I'm the point person on the project or not. But I want us all to start getting in that flow and that routine so that God forbid, if I was out sick or I was in a meeting and you needed something, someone else can pick it up right away. I you love also, that. When you're looking, you also have to look at the fact that you know, like, for example, our agency is tiny, 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 tiny. And we have done that by design, right? Because we operate under the philosophy that we are not going to take 500 people and just throw them against the wall and see who sticks. This is what I've said our agents at just about every staff meeting that we have, which is, I would rather you submit the two people that are going to book this job than waste the other 498 people's time. Right. I'd rather have the two people that are going to book rather than just here we go, spending time, you know, wasting people's uh, time when they could be working. Right. So that's just a little bit different philosophically. There's no way that 500 people are going to book the job. And it's just not what I believe. I believe the one or two or three people that are right for the job. Well, like you said, it's it's about knowing what you're right for and what jobs you've booked before that will be stylistically the right fit. Because if you're getting called on stuff and it's not stylistically who you are, you're going to get frustrated too, because you're like, but I'm never going to book this. So why am I being sent to this when this is not my forte? Yeah. Right? yeah. That was that's not to say that other people do their thing wrong, that that's just a formula that works for them, right? That this is just the formula that's worked for us, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Liv. Great question. Ms. Tasia, final question. Go for it. 
My name is Tasia. I am from Sacramento, California. I'm 24 years old and also a mom of one baby boy who is 10 months old. Um, And (laughs) thank you guys. I wanted to ask, because we're talking about relationships with agencies, how long is it ideal to know like if your relationship is good with an agency or how can you tell that within the first year? Mm. I mean, I think, again, I think it's a little bit instinctual, but I think that, you know, it's, is there communication there having catch up meetings? Do they still seem vested and interested? You know, are you feeling like you're both feeding off of it together? I don't know. I mean, even if you're like Terry said, maybe you don't book something in the first year, but you still feel like there's a progression happening, that things are getting better. You're getting in the right rooms. You're making the right relationships. You're meeting the right people. If that's happening, then we're getting closer to the, that booking. Like you can't just put the weight solely on, oh, well, I haven't booked a job. And people say that to me all the time. They say, oh, well, after a year, am I going to get dropped if I didn't book anything? No, if I believe in you, I believe in you. We got to take the steps to get there and figure out why it's happening or not happening or what we have to do different. You know, so sometimes we have to test things out to figure out what's going to work for you. These times are a little different. You don't get to audition in the room a lot of times, right? So what tends to happen is, people get rusty on auditioning because they might only get in the room for the second or third callback, right? The first callback is your photo. The second callback may be the self-tape. And then the third callback is in the room. And it's a nerve-wracking environment because you haven't been in the room. And second of all, there may only be five or six or eight or 10 people in the room. And then all of the directors, producers, choreographers are going to be in the room. So it's an automatic pressure situation. So we find this is a real detriment to people booking because they're they're out of practice. They're out of practice with their skills because it's different than being in the classroom, as you guys know, you know. Well, and again, on a self-tape, keep in mind, you're controlling the narrative. You're controlling what they see based on what you submit to them, right? So you can take it you know, shoot it 25 times and pick the best take and then send it over to casting. Where in an audition setting, I mean, and you know this even taking class, some days you have a good dance day, some days you have a bad one. And that can happen in an audition too. And like Terry said, if you're not doing it on a regular basis, there could be a couple of those bad ones to get back on track, you know? Yeah. And I think how you can judge the relationship, I think you only have a couple of factors is is the agent taking time to get to know you? And are you feeling like you can ask questions? Are you being submitted for the things you feel you're right for? And the only way that you can know those things is by talking with the agents. So that's really the only barometer that you have, especially if there hasn't been a lot of booking during that time. And then you have to trust your gut. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tasia. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending an hour and a half with us on a Sunday. Do you have any final words of advice before we let you go? Words of wisdom, Terry. I don't know that I have any fantastic (laughs) words of wisdom other than you're not supposed to be great at everything. You're supposed to be great at being you. And the more you compare yourself to the person that's in the window next to you, the more challenging your path will be. You have to accept your path, know that each one of you has an individual path, and it's not supposed to be the same as the person next to you. I wish you all very, very, very good luck. It sounds like you're doing all of the right things. I'm excited to see you all along the way. 
Yay. Well, thank you so much, Terry and Lisa. Lots of hearts, everybody. Lots of hearts. Uh, Again, appreciate your time. So it's, (laughs) come on, Terry, you can't do a heart? No, that's a circle. Okay. Well, put that on your special skills on your resume. (laughs) I cannot do. I can't do the wave either. Well, it was a real treat to have you both guys. They are so busy. It is so hard to get these two in the same room and to have this intimate conversation is is a real treat, especially on a Sunday. And I appreciate you and everything that you've done for me over the years. And I hope that uh, some of these dancers might be affected by you in the same way. Thank you again to everyone. Enjoy the rest of your days. Lisa and Terry, I'll be in touch with you very soon. And we're signing off. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. And that concludes another episode of the Business of Dance podcast. We hope you found today's conversation insightful and gained valuable knowledge. Be sure to join us next time for more inspiring interviews with top professionals in the dance industry. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the Business of Dance on your favorite platform and take a moment to leave a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. This podcast is brought to you by the Business of Dance online mentorship program to help aspiring professional dancers create their dream dance careers. Thank you for listening. Until next time.